In the spring of my third grade life, the talent show was right around the corner. I had the desire to fill the coveted spot of, of a girl who I had a crush on to be her dance partner in the annual spring talent show. Well, unfortunately, I did not make the cut. And so now I was like, wait a second, I want to still be part of the talent show. So what am I going to do? And how can I like show like I should have been that spot? So third grade mind Justin decided that the best way to do that was without training, without any sacrifice, without any discipline, without any really ability. I was going to sign up for the talent show to do a karate um, showcase. Now, like I said, I've never at that point had done any karate, but I had watched Three Ninjas. I had seen Mortal Kombat. I had seen the show Sidekick with uh, Chuck Norris. So I was obviously qualified to go about, stand up in front of hundreds of people and to the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, just flail my legs all over the place. I mean, there was no real means to the madness. I was just kicking, I was just sweeping my leg around, I, was, I had my cool karate outfit on, and oh, I am so glad that there is not video evidence of this. But I didn't know this at the time, uh, but now in this passage, I see that I became the embodiment of what Paul says we are not to become, and in the context of living as missionaries, flailing around without any discipline, without any sacrifice, Paul uses that metaphor to give us the posture of how we should be as missionaries. Now, brothers and sisters in Soma, we know that we have been given a new identity in Christ, and one of those is a missionary. One aspect of that is a missionary empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so in this passage in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul speaking about that very topic, and he gives us an example of the posture that we should have when it, to see as many people profess faith in Jesus as possible. And that is the posture of self-sacrifice and of self-discipline. So let's uh, open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 19. Now as a reminder, Paul is in the middle of speaking about his freedom in Christ and how to use that freedom for the sake of other people. So he's talked about um, in relation to food sacrifice to idols. Next week we'll talk more about that because he wraps it all up in that. He, last week we saw how Jeff, thank you for that so much again, giving us an example um, in Paul's life of how he had uh, the right as an apostle to be paid for his work. But he laid that down because in that specific context, there was ben a benefit to do that. And now he's bringing the conversation to missionary conversations, to evangelistic conversations. And so let's go ahead and read chapter, uh, verses 19. And we're going to look at this first part, verse 23, where he talks about self-sacrifice. Here we go. 
Verse 19, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I am free, uh, excuse me, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to, to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I might share in the blessings. Paul is talking about how he lays down his preferences for the sake of the other. He had just been talking about food sacrifice to idols, about his own um, wages even, but now he's talking about it from a perspective of evangelistic conversation, those who are not yet Christians. So notice he does a few things. He does this willingly. This isn't out of an obligation. This isn't a forced you ought to, you should. He does this because of his own desire. I, 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 we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but think about that. When it comes to missionary evangelistic conversations, do you do it willingly? Or you do, do you engage in them out of an obligation? Oh, I have to share my faith. I, I want to give you an example of Paul's heart in this, of why he did it so willingly. This is one of the groups of the people, the Jews, he was from. I mean, he was raised Jewish. This is what he says about them. I have great, this is Romans chapter 9, starting verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that my, I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Notice his heart for them. Notice what motivated him to sacrifice. He didn't sacrifice because he was forced to. He sacrificed because he had such a great love. Even so much that he said, I would be cursed. I'd be cut off. I mean, he's experienced the benefits of the gospel. He's experienced the love of the Father. He's experienced his salvation from all the ramifications of sin. He's experienced it. But his love for them was so profound, he would say, I would even lay that aside so that they may believe. Talk about a heart that's willing to sacrifice. Not out of obligation, but he desired to. So when we think about self-sacrifice, we need to first address our hearts. Are we doing it out of obligation? Or are we doing it out of a willingness because of love? But secondly, as we continue in self-sacrifice, notice he's not talking about sacrificing the truth. He's not changing the message. He's recognizing that each of these different groups of people that he mentions has a different starting point. And so he sacrifice, sacrifices his preferences. He sacrificed where he would want to start the, the gospel conversation 
for the sake of those who, um, whoever he's meeting at every time. This is the embodiment of what he talks about in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. He says it this way, Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Each person that we engage on mission is going to have a different starting point. Now, we need to ultimately bring them to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How he is the sacrifice and substitute for our sin. How he pays the penalty for our sin. We absolutely need to make sure we recognize the justification that comes from the cross. But Paul, in Colossians and in his life in uh, in Corinth, shows us that his preferences need to adapt for the starting point of where people are. Jews had a different starting point. Those under the law had a different starting point. Those that were not under the law, and, and those, um, all, all of these groups of people had a different starting point, the week, excuse me, had a, a different place in which he would start the gospel and start the conversation. This is what it means, acting wisely, being seasoned with salt, always being gracious. So rather than in our our proclamation of the gospel, having a rote one, two, three, four, what Paul is encouraging, he's saying, hey, we need to recognize where somebody is. We need to change our own life and sacrifice my own preferences. But even in the conversation themselves, we need to be wise and start where they are. Listen. So this doesn't, uh, becoming all things to all people doesn't mean you change the very nature of who you are. What he's talking about is sacrificing our own preferences. But he gives us this um, indication that we are to start from a place of curiosity. How can we know where people start unless we find out? We ask questions. We learn their story. We find out where the opportunities for the gospel are in their life. Now, this could be through their family of origin, through their story. Their story could present opportunities where the gospel is the answer to the wounds that they've experienced. That's a beautiful option. It could be that we discover that they have a different starting point than we did. I mean, for a generation, so much of where people were asking, they were asking the question, how might I be saved? But the generation now, my age and younger, not asking the question, how might I be saved? They don't have an understanding of sin. So they don't have an understanding of what they need to be saved from. They're asking a completely different starting point question. The majority of the question is, how might I be satisfied? How can I enjoy life? How can I experience the full life? And the beauty of the gospel is that it is the answer to both questions of how might I be saved and how might I be satisfied? 
And so while we may want to force people into a conversation that walks them through a certain way, we need to be curious. We need to be listening. We need to be finding out where the opportunities are for the gospel. We need to make the most of every opportunity so that we can find where they are. We can listen to their story. We can find out where the longings are that only Jesus can fulfill. And then as we continue to build relationships, as we continue to build opportunities, as we continue to self-sacrifice our preferences for their sake, we can continue to proclaim the gospel so that they don't just have a better life that's satisfied, but we can bring them from death to life. That's what Paul is revealing us here. So the posture first that we as missionaries can learn from Paul's life is one of self-sacrifice, sacrificing our preference for the sake of the other. But the second one is self-discipline. Now, when we think of evangelism, we don't think, when we think of mission, discipline isn't the first thing that comes to our mind. We tend to think of opportunities. We tend to think of what we should say. Like We tend to think of apologetics. But that's not where Paul goes here. Paul talks about discipline. Now, let's read um, verses 24 to 27. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So in Corinth, there was what was known as the Isthmian Games. So we have the Olympics. These are Um, big sporting events that uh, go throughout the world. Now, the Olympics were in Paul's day, but there were also more regional games. And the Isthmian Games took place in the city of Corinth every other year. It's likely that Paul was there. So he's using a metaphor that they would know. Now, these Isthmian Games, they had boxing, they had running. And so Paul uses them, these athletes as an example to talk about the discipline that they should engage in so that they could win the prize. Now, here's what's funny. Notice Paul says that they do it to receive a perishable crown. Do you know what that crown was? Let me show you. So their perishable crown, why they did all this discipline was so that... They could win a crown of celery. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. All that sacrifice training were so that they could win a crown of celery. So not only is this imperishable, in some people's opinions, this would be considered disgusting. Celery is not good, right? But how perishable is this? I mean... I made this this morning with my daughter, Joya. You already see it falling off. Now, they didn't necessarily do it like this. Um, I'm not the greatest artist, but this is my rendition of the crown. 
But if I waited like a day or two, these are going to be wilting and just like over, right? They spent all that time to receive something like this. All that discipline was for something that was not important. What Paul says is you and I, we get to, in evangelistic conversations, aren't running for something, oh, broke a piece, like this. Just leave that there. We are in on mission for something that's imperishable. We get to experience people going from death to life. We get to experience people that have no understanding of Jesus come to a saving faith in Jesus. We get to see people's lives transformed by the gospel, go from an unflourishing life to a flourishing life, to go from a lack of mission to mission, from no purpose to purpose. From destined to an eternity without a loving Father and a loving God to one with an imperishable body when Jesus returns again with the one who loves us. That is something that's more profound than any stock of celery will ever be able to communicate. So we, Paul says, should discipline ourselves for that goal. That is amazing that we get to do this, that we get to be a part of this. And unfortunately, so often, we think it just happens. We think, oh, those conversations will go about, it just, it'll happen. But what Paul is saying is, no, no, no. We do not run as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I exercise self-control, Paul says, so that I may share in the blessings of the gospel with those who don't yet believe. So where are areas where you and I in our culture tend to lack discipline in our missionary lives? A few ideas. First, our prayer life. Is our prayer life disciplined where we are intentionally praying for people who do not yet profess faith in Jesus, whether that's family members, people in our missional communities, people that our missional community is on mission to. Is there discipline to our prayer life where we are praying for them? Secondly, our calendar. Our calendar. As we come to um, the tail end of what ha has been a crazy year with COVID, uh, um, we've had a lot of time in our hands, right? Like all of the festivities, all of our, um, our obligations have been uh, gone. We haven't been able to do them. For Sports have been out. Dan a lot of things that we tend to busy our calendar with are gone. But they're coming back. The opportunity to fill our calendar again is, is right around the corner. Are we disciplined to make sure that there's intentionality in our calendar to live as missionaries? Are we so busy filling our lives with Christian activities? Now, those aren't bad things, but they, they come, they, it's so easy to say yes to them, that we're filling it with all these Christian things that are good, but they're actually getting in the way of living out our missionary identity. They could be 
Um, count, like think if your parents, it's very easy to fill your calendar with things for your kids. But this discipline that Paul is talking about here means that we say no to certain things so that we can say yes to better things. And so is our do we have times in our calendar that we intentionally have people over when we're able to have them over that don't yet believe? Are we saying no to certain good things so that we can say yes to opportunities for missionary opportunities? As you, are you as a missional community framing your calendar this summer, not just for yourselves, but for those who don't yet believe? So do we have discipline around our calendar? The third place is our finances. Do you have discipline, self-control around what you spend your money on and how you could spend it for missionary opportunities? Do you have a part of your budget set aside not only for the extension of the gospel through the Soma Federal Way family, but even a missional sludge fund, if you will, where needs come up and, and that you're able to have money set aside so that you can pay somebody's bill, so that you can um, buy for those that are in need, that you can increase your grocery budget because when you have more people over more often living a life on mission, that requires more food, which requires more resources. So are your finances disciplined to the point where you are able to live on mission with your money? And the last area is your heart. Is your heart disciplined enough? Are you, like Paul, acting wisely, making the most of every opportunity? Are you prayerfully asking God to give you more gospel conversations, not less? Are you leaning into these relationships with those that don't yet believe? Or are you just sitting back and waiting for it to happen? Do you want it? Do you, like Paul in Romans, have a yearning for people, uh, an anguish, a great sorrow for those that don't yet believe? Are you providing a space in your time where you can ask God to give you a heart for those that don't believe? God, break my heart that for those that are outside of your kingdom, that are outside of your family, do you have discipline in your own heart so that you change your own life? You sacrifice your own desires for the sake of the other. And in closing, why do we do this? Verse 23, I do all this because of the gospel. We realize that... <laughs> We have been saved by a gracious, loving Father who took on penalty for us and gave us His very life. We realize the depth to which we have been saved from, and we want others to be saved from that as well. We're not just trying to get people to live rightly. We're trying to get them to understand how they can rightly live as worshipers of a God who saved them so, so graciously. It's because of the gospel that we do this. And so it's because of the gospel that we as a church family 
are, are working towards increased gospel conversations. We're wanting to see more gospel conversations. Us profess faith. Us share our faith with people that don't yet know Jesus. And a gospel conversation is simply telling someone about Jesus. It could be as simple as on the golf course, bringing up like, hey, I believe that in a guy 2,000 years ago that rose from the dead, therefore, I changed my life. That's a gospel conversation. It could be dozens and dozens and dozens of ways. But we, brothers and sisters, want to call one another to increased gospel conversations. We're going to have multiple baptisms opportunities um, one coming up in September and another one later in the year because we are praying and believing that God in his grace will use us, empower us. And as we are faithful, that we as we are um, sacrifice ourselves, as we discipline ourselves for the sake of those that don't yet believe that he will by grace save people. And that we will be part of the blessing of seeing people come to faith. I mean, my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that each and every one of you will get to be part of seeing somebody come to know Jesus, that you get to be part of baptizing them, seeing them go from death to life, seeing their hearts transformed in front of your very eyes. That's the uh, blessing that we get to share in, he talks about in verse 23. So do you and I have a posture of sacrifice and discipline? Are we working our um, preferences? Are we laying them down for the sake of the other? Are we disciplining our own lives so that we can be part of seeing people come to faith? All of this is not for our own sake. This is because of the gospel of Jesus, that the gospel motivates us to love. And it's out of love that we want to share the one who first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, while we were yet sinners, died for us. That you, in your love, seek and save the lost. You pursue us. And so it's because of the gospel that we can sacrifice our own preferences, lay down our preferences to proclaim truth. And it's because of the gospel that we can discipline ourselves, empowered by your spirit, to... Um, change our lives, to change our calendars, our finances, our hearts, even our prayer lives, to see people come to faith because we are not pursuing an a imperishable crown of celery. We want to be part of inheriting something even more profound than this. So help our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.